five-part series, which will naturally be interrupted by Anniversary Sunday, but we're going to start it anyway, uh, entitled Five Keys to Being a Kingdom Community. Uh, I'm reading a book, almost finished with a book, by Pastor Gene Mims, who is now the pastor at Judson Baptist Church. Uh, on being a kingdom-focused church. And and in the middle of this, I saw some things uh, in Acts 2 that I wanted us to take a look at over the next several weeks. And so, yes, we will in a few moments be going to Acts chapter 2. We've entitled today, Rescue the Perishing. And we'll get back to that. But I, I wanted to give you these words. This is a song. By the way, Fanny Crosby was in a in the New York rescue mission and she was speaking she said to some guys if any of you have strayed from your mother's teaching come see me afterwards and i'll be glad to pray for you now y'all have heard me say and i i have never preached this as the gospel or the unassailable truth but i firmly everybody say firmly believe that you cannot escape the prayers of your mother i just don't i just don't think it's possible And if you can find some scripture for that, I'd love to have it. But in the meantime, she said that to these guys, if you've departed from your mother's teaching. And one guy came up to her afterwards and said, my mother's in heaven and I'd like to see her, but I'm not real sure that I'm going to get there. And she said, we can be sure. And she prayed for him and he accepted Christ. And then she wrote this song. Go ahead, King. uh, What's your name? William. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. By the way, I was driving in this morning and I heard Cynthia Clawson singing this. How about that for timeliness? By the way, I heard y'all singing Blessed assurance this morning. That was great, too. Though they are sliding him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with him earnestly. Plead with with them gently. He will forgive if only they believe. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter, feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart, wakened by kindness, cords that are broken, will vibrate once more. Last verse, rescue the perishing, duty demands it. Strength for thy labor, the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way, patiently with them, tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. Rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Well, the harvest, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. We know that. We know the fields are white with harvest when we look at our culture and our surrounding. As I, as I looked at this, these, this uh, passage that we're about to read, I had a question that I've asked often, and I don't really have totally the answer. But the question is, what did the early church do with those 3,000 new converts in one day? Now, imagine... There was only 120 of them in the upper room. 120. And then Peter preaches a sermon. We're going to read a good portion of it here in a moment. And 3,000, everybody say 3,000. 
Now, we'd have to have probably 10 or 12 services to get them in this room. 3,000 new converts. What do you do with that? I mean, that sounds great. Hallelujah, man. We got the biggest church in town. Okay, now what are you going to do with them? I mean, if I'd have been that, in that 120, especially Matthias. Matthias just going, wait a minute, I just got here. Y'all just voted me in. What is this all about? 3,000 new converts. You got to do something with them. There must be a context into which we bring those folks and people like that into. There's got to be a context. Not just a place, but a context. The kingdom of God contains the church, and churches exist on behalf of the kingdom of God. We'll read that again. The kingdom of God contains the church, and churches exist on behalf of the kingdom of God. I repeat what you've heard me say often, and that is the church is not the kingdom, and the kingdom is not the church. I heard a song this morning. I'm not going to mention who was singing it. That wasn't them. Um, it, I'm, and I'm not taking major issue with the song, except that it said, um, Upon this rock I will build my kingdom. Now, again, I'm not taking major issue with that, but that comes, and for, just in case you just start studying the Bible, Jesus actually said, Upon this rock I will build my church. And my issue, and not a major one, but my issue is that it comes out of a mindset that the church is the kingdom and the kingdom is the church. Nothing could be further from the truth. And we need to be able to understand the difference between the kingdom of God and the church. Jesus said, Your will be your kingdom come, speaking to the Father. Your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So if Jesus prays for God's kingdom to come to earth just like it is in heaven, we must deduce there is a kingdom in heaven. There's already a kingdom. So Jesus didn't say he was going to build a kingdom. I know there's a song out there that says build the kingdom, and I'm not, I don't have a problem with it. But there's nothing to build. The kingdom is already intact. Now, there is something to extend. There's something for us in the earth to extend to people, one person at a time. But Jesus did not say he was going to build the kingdom. He said he was going to build the church because the church needed building. Think about it. It needed building because it's people, flawed people. And so Jesus said, I will build my church and I will preach the good news, and I'll read that in a moment, of the kingdom of God. In this book, uh, Pastor Gene Mims says, describes to us, what is a church? A church, it is an outpost, <clears throat> excuse me, in a war zone where real life happens. It is not a fortress to hide in or a pristine edifice to impress those who pass through its doors. No, a church is a gathering. Everybody say gathering of real people living real lives, struggling with real issues. Are you in the right place? Amen. There we go. 
It is a place on earth where pilgrims on a journey make their way to eternity. It is a place where every imaginable struggle occurs and every sin is sinned. We don't like that, but we know it's true. It is a place of transformation and miracles. It is a place where God surprises us in unexpected, unpredictable, and unknowable ways. That's, that's what the church looks like. It's a gathering. It's a group of people who have been called out. <clears throat> called out of darkness. Called out of a life of sin. Called out and then they assemble, not necessarily in a geographical location, although we do, but we're assembled together as the church. The church serves the kingdom. The church is a servant to God's kingdom, and God's kingdom is simply wherever Jesus is king. Now, all of this, all of these this five keys of being a kingdom community, it begins with the evangelizing of lost souls. Sometimes we get so busy with our teachings and the things we do, and they're all good and they're all should be done. We forget that we're, as, as Fanny Crosby said, it's a, it's a call of duty. It's a call of duty for us to go out and rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Every one of us, at some point in our walk, in some point in our lives, we encounter, we may live with some, but we encounter people who are lost. And, and you know, while there are varying ways to describe lost people, primarily we're talking about people who do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. They have never been born again. There is, there is an element of being lost of someone who does know Jesus, but they've lost their way. We all know people like that. We've been listening to Bob Mumford on Wednesday nights in our small group, and he said he backslid. He said he has a heart for people who backslide because he backslid from God for many years and then came back to him. That's a lostness, not a lostness in the sense of losing salvation, but lostness in the sense of losing our way. But today we're primarily saying that there is a wealth of people, that the, the harvest is truly white, but the workers are few. So today we're going to talk about rescue to perishing or evangelism. If you, would, uh, if you haven't already, turn to Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read beginning in verse 22. It's going to be just a little bit of a lengthy passage. If you can't stand that long, you're certainly not going to offend me. Uh, but if you would stand while we read the scripture, and I'm reading once again from the English Standard Version, beginning in verse 22, Acts chapter 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. This is a great sermon, by the way. I ought to just read this and leave. <clears throat> Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The New Living Translation there says the prearranged plan of God. Do you all believe God prearranges things? Okay. Bunch of Calvinists. <laughs> That's a good thing. But anyway, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and this is Psalm 16, by the way, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then, then Peter continues, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. In other words, he wasn't talking about himself. That's what he's trying to tell us there. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of, all, of that, that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received From the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, the outpouring on the day of Pentecost. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, again, this is Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord, say Lord, And Christ, say Christ. So let's say both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Everyone say, that's me. me. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You can be seated. This this move of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Mike just turned on the lights with your back, <laughs> which proves we got one that's not working right. Yeah, well, I went well. Let there be light. It begins with evangelism. This story, and you know, being a charismatic. Wacko. I have studied, you know, this passage for 40, pushing 50 years, let's just say it that way. And I see, I've, I was able to see something a little differently than, it was been there all along, but, and is that, that this, this whole deal started with an evangelistic message, the good news. Christian evangelism is the process of sharing the gospel with the lost and winning them to Christ, thereby enabling them to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you can't even see it. You can't even comprehend the kingdom of God. But the reverse 
is true. But if you are born again, then you see it. And the truth is, you become a part of the kingdom before you become a part of a church. Well, that's not good for church growth, but I can't help it. It's the truth. The word evangelism is a word that in the, in the Greek text, I don't like doing this very often, but I want you to see the comparison. Uh, and I'm not calling you names, but the word is pronounced euagelian. I don't know if you're a Gillian or not, but you just have to figure that out on your own. But it means to announce the good news. And I only use that word because it's where we get our word eulogy. And in a eulogy, a eulogy most of the time, someone has died, but it's not always someone's died, but it's always saying something really good about somebody. How many of you know when people die, that's when we say stuff good about them? May we be encouraged to say something good about them before they die. But this is a word that just means to announce the good news. And I want to tell you that we proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and therefore the king of the kingdom. We proclaim the good news. And, it, and the good news is not everything's going to be okay. You're all right. That's, and it also isn't. You're going to die and go to hell, sucker. And I, I, I grew up with some folks in high school that that was their method of evangelism. You're going to die and go to hell. And I, I asked them one day, I said, you act like you're kind of happy about that. You, you sound like you're happy that they're going to die and go to hell. How can you, you know, and I go back to William Branwell Booth, who training his cadets in the Salvation Army, said you, you, he would forbid them from speaking to people about hell unless they could do it with a tear in their eye. Because it's so easy to talk about hell with wag that finger. So good, the good news is that God loves the world. We miss that sometimes in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Now you know what the world encompasses. All those people you rail against on Facebook. <laughs> That's the world. But God loved the world so much that he made the greatest sacrifice in sending his son. The good news to people is that God loves them. Yeah, if you, you know, we do believe, and the scripture teaches, that if you die outside of Christ, you're going to hell. But that's a sad thing. That's not something to... To rejoice in. That's not something that you want. I don't care who it is. Mm. Remember the verse Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Because you've got a kingdom of darkness that is identified with dark with darkness and uh, hatred and anger, bitterness, hopelessness. And then you've got a kingdom of God that is identified with the nature of that God, and that is love and mercy and grace and peace. It says the kingdom consists, Romans fourteen seventeen, of righteousness, peace, and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom consists of. And when we share with people, we share with them the good news of this kingdom and that it's available for them. We really see the good news in the Old Testament. Sometimes we don't think of the Old Testament as being a source of good news. But in the Old Testament, God, first of all, calls his people out. Think about there were no Jews before Abraham. He was the first one. And he called Abraham out of a pagan culture, out of a pagan lifestyle. And he said, I will, I will make you my own. And you will be a blessing. You will be blessed so that you can be a blessing. You will be the father of all. And here's a man who was a pagan and now he's not. Kind of similar to being born again. And God identified Abraham and drew him out of that culture. And he said, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to sign this blank check. And I'm going to fill it in as we go along. How many of you would do that? Well, we'd do it with God, but we wouldn't do it with our real checkbook. You wouldn't, you wouldn't sign a blank check and hand it to somebody and say, I feel, just fill it in. No, but God said, I'm going to, you're going to sign the check, and then I want you to, I'm going to fill it in. Chapter, this is Genesis chapter 12. Good news. Not just that he called them out, but he redeemed them from Egyptian slavery. And then later on, he redeemed them out of the Babylonian exile. God has always been a God of redemption. Let's lose the idea that Old Testament God is mean and New Testament God is sweet. I've heard that too many times. I don't watch TV preachers, but if I did, I'd be throwing things at the TV. Because you hear that too much. The Old Testament God is mean and he's harsh and he's ready. To, he's breathing fire and he's ready to condemn people and tear them up. But New Testament Jesus, he's just sweet. Paul wrote, behold, everybody listen, behold the goodness and what else? The severity of God. That's the whole of God. Okay. The New Testament, we see God's good news in the Lord Jesus. It's wrapped up in the Lord Jesus, his person, and the message that he brought us. That's the good news. Peter in verses 38 and 39 he sums it up and he says, repent and believe. Can I tell you that about the only thing you can do in this process is to repent? And to re by the way, repent's not a bad word. We make, we've made repentance a bad word. Oh, they repented. Well, wonder what? Repentance is simply turning and going the other way. If I'm walking towards Lebanon, which would take a while, and I say, well, I really don't need to be walking towards Lebanon. I need to be walking towards Hermitage. I turn and walk towards her. That's repentance. Doesn't have to be a, a dark, dour thing. It's a simple choice. I choose to let God do what God does. And then he says, then when you do that, then you're opening, you're putting yourself in a position that God can do something with you. We can't talk about evangelism without talking about the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, you Aegean, for it is the power or the ability of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't miss what Paul wrote. It is the power. He didn't say it brings the power. He said the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom, the good news is. Everybody say is. is. Our former president didn't know what that meant, but I can tell you what it meant. The, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And I, I want us to see the power of the gospel because then we understand the value of the gospel. You say, well, I'm not a theologian. Well, you don't have, it's just one drunk, I mean drunk, well, not drunk, ha! Ah! <laughs> one thirsty person telling another thirsty person where the water is. One hungry person telling another hungry person where the food is. That's the gospel. And it's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For in it, in the gospel, watch this. For in it, and it is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And he's quoting Habakkuk 2.4 there. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not our righteousness, because we don't have any. And what little we do have, the scripture teaches us, that are like a bunch of filthy rags. But in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Now I want to talk just a minute about faith. I'm going to try not to get off on a tangent here, but sometimes we preachers have taught that faith is like a, you know, we got to work it up. Well, you don't have enough faith. You need some faith. Go get you some faith. Work it up. Well, I want to submit to you today that the Scripture says in Galatians 3 that now before faith came, and then a few verses later, he writes, but now that faith has come. So where, where do we get faith outside of ourselves? We can't work up faith. We can't conjure up faith. I hope I'm communicating. Maybe this verse will help. To, Romans 12, 3. To think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith, Read the underlined part. That, is it underlined? Yeah. According to the measure. You, you going to read it with me or are you going to go to sleep? Come on. To the measure of faith that God has assigned. Measure of faith. Where did we get our faith? God assigned it to us. God gave it to us. When did that happen? When we came to him. How did we come to him? He enabled us. Do you hear what I read earlier? That we, we, we tell the good news to lost people, and when they accept Christ, it enables them to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to give you a little Calvinism here, so hang on. I'm a partial Calvinist. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. I read that for years, 
seeing that grace is not your own doing, but I see now that it's also faith is not your own doing. Come on now, don't throw things at me. I hope I got a job next week. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. What faith? The measure of faith that he assigned you. Now, let's just be honest, people. Let's just be honest. As an unregenerated, lost soul, as a person who had nothing to do with Christ, oh, yeah, we knew about him. Those of us that grew up in the Bible Belt, I was in church when I was two weeks old, but that didn't mean I knew him. I knew about him. I could tell you about him. But for a person who is unregenerated, who has nothing, no connection with God, who has not been born from above by the Spirit of God, where in the world would we find the ability to make a move to God? The answer is, close your eyes, and what do you see? There's nowhere that we as lost people could find that ability to come to Christ. Which is why I say, you know, for us to sing and we don't, for us to sing I found Jesus is biblically incorrect. We weren't looking for him. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. He found us. He said, I will leave the 99 and go seek the one. Who's, who's doing the seeking? Who's taking the initiative? God is. And you say, why are you saying all this? Well, I don't know. I just thought I'd say something. Anyway. <laughs> it's because we have to understand that the gospel, the power of God in the gospel moves us to faith. It moves us. The grace that God gives us moves us. And it gives us the ability in that moment to allow that regenerating power of God to change us. You could never have been saved except that God gives you the grace and the faith in that moment to do it. Think back when you, when you accept, especially if you lived part of your life without Christ and you didn't grow up in the church, which sometimes can be a disadvantage. But think about that moment when you experience, as, as our brother shared earlier, when you experience that moment when Christ became yours and you became his. Think about that moment in, that you immediately had faith. And you don't know where that came from. Our brother Jim Newsom comes here often and he, obviously, you know, his story, the thumbnail is that he was... He murdered his best friend, had the wake for his best friend at his house. He was a drug dealer. That night, a young girl, a client of his, came to, to see him. He thought to buy drugs. She came with what he describes as an industrial-sized Bible. 17-year-old girl. And he told her, get out of my house. I don't want anything to do with any of that. But somewhere between that conversation and a later conversation, he accepted the Lord Jesus. And the next day turned himself in, served eight years of a 30-year sentence for second-degree murder. And today, all of you have heard him teach and preach the gospel. Preaches in prisons all the time. Well, something happened between, I don't want you to get out of my house, and I accept Christ. 
what happened? By grace, through faith, he was saved. I'm not just trying to teach us good theology today. I want us to understand the power of the gospel. I want us to understand the the power, the all-enabling power of the gospel that you share with people who are outside God's kingdom. We need to recognize the need to be rescued. Romans 3.23 says, all, everybody say all, All. and everybody say that included me. All have sinned. Remember we did a Greek study on the word all and it meant all. (laughs) All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter how good of a person we were. It doesn't matter how many good works we had achieved. It, it, it didn't matter how many days we'd spent in a church. I wish I'd have come up with the, the saying that said, you, you know, being in a church building makes you a Christian no more than being in a garage makes you a car. It doesn't matter. All have sinned. All came short. All needed and need to be rescued by the Lord. Some of us, especially that maybe been saved a while, some of us have forgotten how it felt to be rescued or to need to be rescued. And we need to regain that. We need to revisit that place, wherever it was, when we knew in that moment that God had rescued us out of that life, that God had transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. We need to revisit that. We need to remember that we needed rescuing. Here's what happens if we forget that we needed to be rescued. We we find ourselves complaining and grumbling, and we find ourselves discontented. These are all evidences of we have forgotten that we needed And the other thing that happens when we forget that we needed to be rescued is that we forget, we don't think that these people need to be rescued. Rescue is an interesting word. Uh, It says it means to pluck or tear out, to choose out. When God removed you from the kingdom of darkness and put you in the kingdom of his son, he chose you. You are the chosen ones. You are God's chosen people. Now, I know sometimes we act like his frozen people, but we can get over that. You are God's chosen people. It it doesn't just mean that he rescues you. I've told you the story. When I was 10 years old, my aunt rescued me from drowning. I wouldn't be here today if she hadn't went, went out in that lake and got me out. This is, this is a violent pluck or tear out. It's more than just somebody going and getting you. I mean, I'm glad she did. But God comes along and he sees you and he sees me mired in clay, the clay of the world, and he tears us out of that. I hope we're seeing what? I hope we're seeing that. God 
In Acts 7.34, speaking to Moses, he says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groans and have come down to rescue them. Jesus says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So why did Jesus come? Well, actually, I, other day I'm, the other day I made a list, and maybe one day we'll go over the whole list. But why did Jesus come? Well, that's a pretty good reason right there. He said, I came. The reason I came is to seek and save those who are lost. He might have been thinking about Ezekiel when God said, I will seek that which was lost and bring back that which has strayed And I will bandage the hurt and the crippled and will strengthen the weak and the sick. He goes on to talk about how you deal with the fat and the strong. We won't won't deal with that today. How many of you realize that people all around us are crippled and hurt? I don't mean physically. Some are. But I mean, how many of you in their spirits are crippled and they're hurting And they need to be strengthened. And they've strayed. How many of us understand that the the solution for that, watch this, is found in you. I don't mean you're the Savior, but how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's you. You may have ugly feet, but God says you have pretty feet. And don't take your shoes off. Anyway, (laughs) Jesus came to seek and to save. Jesus, God said, I want to take those who were crippled and hurt and weak, and I want to strengthen them. I'm going to take the lost and bring them into my fold. God, give us a heart for that one person, Brother Charles's magazine, out there it says, if you've ever noticed, it says, one-to-one, extending the kingdom of God, one person at a time. I, t- I ask every one of us to take upon ourselves that mission. I'm not asking you to become the next Billy Graham. I'm not sure anybody ever will be. I'm not asking you to go, I'm asking you to take upon one mission, that is to extend the kingdom of God, one person at a time. And you know who they are. How do we engage? How do we engage with these people? Well, there are many methods. Methods are important. But not as important as engaging in the ultimate result. There are so many teachings out there, and all of them are good, on how to engage with people. You have some who would say that we would establish a friendship, which is probably my favorite way to establish and become friends. The Bible says Jesus was a friend. Everybody say friend. Friend. Not friendly, but he was a friend of sinners, that we would become friends with those who need Christ. There's another way, and that's that's a Roddy MacGyver way. That's just to walk up to a stranger and start telling them the gospel or Dixie. Some others have got that kind of boldness. I don't have that kind. That's a good way. 
And we can't say one way is the right way and one way is the wrong way. What we can say is they're both the right way. There are other methods that I can't get into, but those are just an examples of how. The important thing is not the method we use. In other words, here's what I want to say. The how should never take place of the why. Let's never get bogged down in how we bring the gospel to those around us, but let's always realize the why. Why? Because they're lost. And, they, and Jesus is wanting to find them, quote, unquote. We also need to remember that God is the Lord of the harvest. Because in evangelism schools, we're taught like some sales companies do, we're taught one call close. Those of you who have been involved in sales know exactly what I'm talking about. A one-call close means knock on the door. I have this water filter that you need to buy. It's the best water filter they ever made. How many do you want? Well, I don't, I don't know if I well, we, we, I got a special today. This, today is, this special is only good today. Well, let me call my boss and see if we can get a better deal. That's one-call close. I'm sad to say uh, how I know that. And sometimes when we're teaching evangelism, that's how we teach it. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. Now you want to get saved? Well, why don't you want to get saved? Well, what's keeping you from getting saved? Push, push, push. Watch this. I want to, I want to relieve you of some pressure. Jesus said to his disciples, he comes back. To, he's with the woman at the well. His disciples have gone to get him a Big Mac. And they, they come back with a sack full of Big Macs and fries. Maybe some chicken nuggets. I don't know. But they, and he doesn't want them. They said, well, somebody brought him some food. And you've heard me and even Jim Newsom teach on this. Who, who has your lunch? That lady had his lunch. By the time he got through giving to her, he was full. And he says this, and for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. It's great when we can sow the seed and reap the harvest. It's great. But Jesus said, one sows and another reaps. Now watch this part of it. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. In other words, you did not sow the seed. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And we understand that the reverse is true. You have sown seed in people's lives that someone else saw the harvest. I know you, you can't build an evangel, uh, evangelism catalog that way, you songwriters. But that's the way God's economy works. I'm not trying to let us off the hook. I'm trying to tell us that when we engage with people with the good news of the kingdom of God, if they do not immediately respond, pray for them, but don't get downcast. Somebody else down the line is going to get to harvest that seed. But, but know this, Jesus said, I sent you to reap where somebody else labored. Somewhere along the way, you're going to share the gospel with someone who's already heard the gospel, and it's already been germinating inside of them, and then you're going to say, would you? Yeah. When Saul of Tarsus was riding along in that donk on that donkey, I guess it was a donkey. It was an animal, and the the the, the light hit him. 
Do you think that was the first time that he had heard something from God? I'm going to tell you why, and I agree with that. I'm going to tell you why I believe that. It was not the first time. He immediately, everybody say immediately. He didn't jump up and say, what was that? Hey, guys, did y'all see that? What was that? What was it that hit me? First words out of his mouth, Lord, Lord. There had been something going on prior to that event. And God had been dealing with him. And God had been, people had been speaking to him. And God had been dealing with his heart. And he, he was going along that road. And God in heaven said to the angels, Okay, boys, I think it's time. Hit him with the light. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't news to him. When he said, Lord, Lord. Part of this equation is that you know what it's like to be saved. What a simple truth. What a simple idea. You know what it's like. Well, I read about it in a book. Well, this is not one of those things that you can just read about in a book. You have been there and you have done that. If, in fact, you have accepted the Lord Jesus. You have been drawn. You have been convicted by the Holy Spirit to receive the gospel. I don't know what all this means, but the, my daddy was a great guy, good father. Uh, we were all, of course, grew up in the church. He'd go to church with us when we were having some good singing. Uh, but one Sunday he got up and we lived literally across the street. I mean, we were closer to the church than we are to this school across. I mean, we were literally half the distance to that school. He got up, walked across the street, sat down in the pew. I'm playing bass guitar in the worship band. You know, we didn't think a lot of it because sometimes he would come to church with us when there wasn't singing. So we jumped up and did an invitational hymn. I'm thumping that bass. He popped up like popcorn. And, of course, he had a, a knee that had been injured at work, but he flew down to that altar, almost literally. I don't think he heard a word the preacher said. I, I really don't. He told us later on that the Lord had came, come, come to him in a dream the night before. And he, the Lord said to him, and I don't know what all this means, but my daddy was a, an old redneck from northwest Florida, but he was not stupid. The Lord said to him in the dream, it's my last time. This is the last time I'm coming. I can't, I don't, I, except I can tell you the Bible says I will not contend with you forever. So daddy said, he knew what that meant. And he, he again, he got up, started getting dressed. We didn't know what was going on, but we knew once he, as soon as we hit the first few notes, he's to the altar, accepts Christ. 1971. I was 16 years old. And 14 years ago when we buried him, it sure gave us hope because we were all there that day. The whole family, we were there that day and we watched him come to Christ. He was drawn. He was convicted. Jesus said, no one can come to me 
unless the Father who sent me draws him. My friends in high school used to say, I'm going to come to Jesus when I'm ready. And I didn't know any better to tell them. I'd tell them today, you don't come to Christ when you're ready. You come to Christ when Christ is ready. And when he's drawing and convicting you by the Holy Spirit, that's when you, that's when you find that grace and that faith that you need to come. We just read Acts 2.37 in the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, when they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? There's a surrender. We surrendered. Some of us surrendered without even knowing what in the world we were doing. But we surrendered. And I'm telling you that there's a wealth, there's a, a wealth of people out there who are looking for the grace and the faith to surrender. And they just need us to tell them the good news. So, ask God for divine appointments. So how am I going to find these people? Ask God. Now don't, don't pray it if you don't want him to answer it. But ask God to give you divine encounters with human beings who need to hear the good news of the kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom. Who is it that holds your appointment calendar? Well, the worship team, come on back. I know we're pushing our quote-unquote deadline. Some of you get on to me when I say that. I, I don't know. You know, I can't even, there's no way I could preach a message like this and not give an opportunity. But let me, let me give you this. One of my favorite groups, singing groups, most of you've never heard of, and it's a group called Love Song. Who's heard of Love Song? Oh, more than I thought. Chuck Gerard lives here in Nashville somewhere, in Franklin, I guess. They wrote a, they recorded a song on an album in 1972 called, guess what the name of it was? Love Song. Do I have these words? Okay. We've all gathered here because we all believe. If there's a doubter in the crowd, we ask you not to leave. Give a listen to his story. Hear the message that we bring. Feel the faith swell up inside you. Just exactly what we've been talking about. And lift your voice with us and sing. Look at this chorus. Accept him with your whole heart. And use your own two hands. And with one, reach out to Jesus. And with the other, bring a friend. And then the, the next verse says, Many know him well, others just by name. If you don't know for what he stands, you've really much to gain. With faith you can move mountains. These are common words, but true, we aren't quite a mountain. But he moved us here to you. 
Ask God to move you to somebody. And then you can say, accept him with your whole heart and use your own two hands with one reach out to Jesus and with the other, bring a friend. That's our message today. If you need to accept Christ this morning, if you realize by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God and the gospel that you heard today that you're not, that you're not saved. I told the story the other night in small group, I think, uh, years ago when I was uh, still called myself a singer, I used to sing these songs all over our county and all over south southeast, and and I used to sing songs like After Calvary, and there was three or four more that I sang, and 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 I still think that the lyrics are very sound and biblical. They were they were written by a guy who was singing at the time with a group called the Blue Ridge Quartet, and the guy's name is Laverne Tripp, and one day. I was in Louisiana, and I was in, I was installing cable TV in a home, and this is years after I'd been singing Laverne Tripp's songs. And I turned the TV on to get it dialed in and everything, and the 700 Club was on. I had that sneaky way of doing that when I would install cable. Back then, this is middle 70s, that's all we had. So I turned on 700 Club. And there was Laverne Tripp. And you know what I heard him say? I just got saved. He's telling Pat Robertson, he said, I just got saved. I went, wait a minute. There came only be one Laverne trip. He said, all the years I sang gospel music in gospel groups, I never knew Jesus. But that, he was testifying that he had accepted Christ. And I'm going, what about all these songs? Of course, I reminded, as I've told you, that the gifts and callings are irrevocable and the gift has nothing to do with the person. So my point is, you might have been going to church your whole life. You might even be singing in a gospel group. But you, may, you may not know Jesus. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe you need something else. I don't know. We prayed for healing. We still do that. If you have to go, you're not going to offend me. But I want us just to stand and follow the worship team and follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, whatever that may be.
and for 